Companion. This is episode 92. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's fifth season episodes, The First Duty, Cost of Living, and The Perfect Mate. Here we go. The First Duty, Season 5, Episode 19, Production Number 219. Original air date, March 30th, 1992. Directed by Paul Lynch, written by Ronald D. Moore and Naren Shankar. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher, Ray Walston as Boothby, Robert Duncan McNeil as Nicholas Locarno, Ed Lauder as Lieutenant Commander Albert, Richard Fancy as Captain Satelk, Jacqueline Brooks as Admiral Brand, Walker Branst as Gene Hajar, and Shannon Phil as Cito Jaxa. While en route to Starfleet Academy, where Picard is scheduled to, li- to deliver the commensurate address, he learns of a devastating in-flight accident involving Wesley Crusher and his squadron. While all five ships were destroyed, Wesley, his squadron leader, and two other members managed to transport to safety. However, the fifth team member, Wesley's good friend Joshua Albert, was killed instantly. I think that Nicholas Locarno wanted to end his academy career in a blaze of glory. And that he convinced the four of you to learn the Colvoid Starburst for the commencement demonstration. If it worked, it would thrill the assembled guests. And Locarno would graduate as a living legend. Well, it didn't work. First duty. Steve, kick us off on the first duty. I know you're a big uh, Wesley Crusher fan. <laughs> um, well, I like this episode okay. Um, I, it's certainly memorable. Um, obviously, Wesley coming back as a guest star. Also, um, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil making an appearance um, before, of course, was a regular on Voyager. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's kind of, there's a little bit of a mystery thing involved, and uh, so that's always interesting. And I, I especially like uh, Picard in this episode in terms of his, the stance he takes and the tone he takes with Wesley. And uh, um, I don't know, I, I, I enjoy it overall. First time we've actually seen Starfleet Academy, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. We, we and, take that for granted. We've seen it so much since. And a few blocks from my house. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, you see it all shot, the time. Yeah, that's right. Steve, we shot your... This is many years ago. Steve and I shot a music video for one of Steve's band's songs on the other side of that big damn wall. <laughs> that's not D-A-M-N damn that's right <laughs> that's a anyway kind of back there anyway so that's all part of the same water reclamation facility um, <laughs> uh, so yeah Starfleet Academy which of course we've been hearing about since the original series and we're going to see it lots more um, on subsequent Star Trek but this is the first time we actually go there uh, Mr. Caesar your first thoughts on the first duty um, yes, it is a memorable episode. I would agree with Steve as well. Um, I, I kind of attribute this as, it's kind of like a transition for Wesley. You know, we saw him in the first seasons. Obviously, he's not a regular anymore, but his character, to me, his character is different now than it was before. And he's transit, you know, you look at Wesley in the first few seasons, like it or not, I don't have a particular problem with Wesley, but he was kind of a, a pleaser. You know, he wanted to make everybody... Mm-hmm proud and happy and that kind of thing and i think this is kind of um we're kind of kind of getting to see him become his own person and make his own decisions not not based on solely what you know his immediate basically his enterprise family thing so and you know we'll see more of that 
the more we see him, I think what well, we see him maybe one or two more episodes. I'm gonna I'm gonna partially agree with you and partially disagree. I'm gonna agree with one part, and that's that I think this episode does a lot to humanize Wesley. You know, we complained a great deal the first couple seasons about you know Wesley, the super genius uh, boy that saved the Enterprise and stuff, and <laughs> you know, but here we see him, you know, really make a mistake and. Um, and that humanizes him, and it makes me like him more. I've said before that I like Wesley so much more after he leaves the show, and this is, you know, this is the kind of episode as to why I think, you know, seeing him as a real person with flaws. On the other hand, um, I disagree with uh, uh, comments about him really making his own choices in a way, because I think maybe where this episode fails just a little and this is a this is a good episode um it's, it is very memorable and i like it uh but i think that it does have kind of a couple of problems and one of those is <sighs> picard basically threatens wesley you know he says you do this or i will and i think that you know saying telling wesley either you speak up or i'm going to speak up it takes a little bit out of that. I feel like he was forced into that, and I don't really feel like he came to that decision on his own. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, it's once Picard takes his stance and learns what happens, it's almost like a foregone conclusion what's going to go down. You know, if so, yeah, that, that, I, I can see that point of view. Yeah, and no, I, I I can see it as well. I mean, we don't get a lot of the. Um, I mean, there's uh, there's a titan, you know, they talk about the tightness, the tightness of the Nova Squadron and, you know, how the camaraderie is. And, you know, they talk about it a lot, but you don't really ever see it or I never really felt it like why Wesley was so loyal to um, um, Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not doubting that that's what they were going for, but you didn't get enough of that. Why, why were they so close? Why were they so bonded together? Right. Mostly you get that Nicholas Ocarno is, is very smooth, you know, and this kind of thing. And besides Wesley, all the others just kind of cave do everything. That's the impression mm-hmm. I get, you know? Yeah. Um, I, it's not that I think like the scene where, uh, Picard confronts Wesley, it's, uh, you know, one of the best scenes in the episode. It's a very good scene. I just feel like maybe if Picard hadn't been so certain, uh, you know, if instead of saying you tell or I will, if it had been more like implied that I think this is what happened, I have my suspicions, mm-hmm. you know, and and if this is what happened, you need to speak up because your duty is to the truth, Starfleet's duty is to the truth, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, if he'd had more room to come to that decision and stand up in that hearing of his own accord, I think it would have just been a little resonated a little bit better. But you know, that's a relatively minor. I don't know. Maybe it's not that minor of a comment. <laughs> but <laughs> I think my favorite scene in the episode is um, when uh, who's the kid that died? Josh. Yeah. His dad. Oh yeah. yeah that scene when yeah the scene when he comes to Wesley and gives him his sweater back or whatever. Uh, yeah, and he says, "I'm sorry that Josh let you let you down." It's like, <laughs> wow. oh man, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. how does Wesley not just collapse right then? You know, <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if you, if you saw um, the commentary track or listened to the commentary track that's on the Blu-ray, but uh, it's interesting that they wanted to just get Wesley expelled, essentially. And and they initially wanted him to... You're talking about the writers. Yeah, the writers. The writer, it was a commentary with the writers, and they they wanted him to uh, never cave in, like to all, just to not ever tell the truth about it, and to get expelled. <laughs> and this, and um, that was... Um... Ron Moore and Niran Shankar, yeah. Right. And uh Michael Pillar said, No. Yeah. He needs to he needs to speak up and tell the truth. Period. You know. Um That would have been a dra- that, that would have been a pr- pretty dramatic turn for the Wesley Crusher character. Yeah, but it's he's not like he's a regular on the show. One I think if this episode was done today, that's what would have happened. Yeah. You know, watching it now, it is it does seem kind of crazy that they're not all somebody a kid died. Somebody died. Right. No way any of these people would be at Starfleet Academy the next week. <laughs> no way. Mm. Yeah, but let's, let's let's talk about um, Nick Locarno for a second. Of course, uh, I've heard it many times, and I'm pretty sure I do think it's true. But I've heard many times that they loved Robbie McNeil so much in this character that, that they you know completely modeled Tom Paris after him, even bringing in the same actor. And that they would have actually used the same name even had it not been for the fact that they would have had to have paid mm-hmm. um, uh, Moore and Shankar, the writers of this episode. They would have had to send them some kind of residual check for every episode of Voyager ever. It would have been a small bloody check. Uh, and it's not like that money isn't going somewhere. It's just that <laughs> Rick Berman wanted it to go to him, basically. You know right. what I mean? It's well, about- that's... The writers are convinced of that. They also mentioned that in the commentary too. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that many times. I've heard that been hearing that since the '90s, and I completely believe it. Yeah, of course, sure. But you know, that said, I, this is the reason I bring it up. I wanted to mention that Robbie McNeil has said he always thought of the characters as pretty different because he felt like uh, Locarno deep down was a bad guy, mm. but but and. and really could not have been redeemed as opposed to Tom Paris who was deep down a good guy that made some mistakes you know and he had, and and could be redeemed um yeah and Paris lived in there with him he had the father issues too so very yeah, you know so and I I buy that it is a little bit you know as as trek fans and uh, as trekkers you know it's it messes with the universe a little bit to say, hey, this guy looks exactly like him. <laughs> this is like his uh, twin brother, but you know. <laughs> Alright, that's okay. Well, we uh, do get to see one of the crew members again. Uh, right, uh, what's her name? Seti, Sadi, whatever? She, she comes back. Yeah, yeah. Lower um, Decks. That's a good episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lower Decks is a, is a great episode. Um, but, you know, First Duty is uh, it's a, it's certainly a different episode for Star Trek. You You can tell that they probably had to fight Berman to get to make this kind of episode, basically a little character piece back on Earth. Um, you know, the heck, there's a reason the original series never came to Earth. Well, not really modern day Earth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, hey Brian, what what I was saying earlier about um transition, Wesley transition. What I, we get one more episode with Wesley, right? And is that is it one or two more? With Wesley, definitely there's one. You know, the seven yeah, season thing with the Indian Native Americans. And the traveler, uh, and that, and, 
And that's what I mean by like transition. It's like, you know, we you see the transition beginning here and then that comes full fully out in that episode where we see Wesley go off. He becomes kind of his own person where he's not making decisions for everybody else. He's just making decisions for himself. Because I mean, throughout this whole series, everybody's like, "Oh, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna go to Starfleet. You're gonna be this and this and that." And Wesley always tried to live up to those expectations. Um, well, it's funny because the 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 Wesley from the first couple of seasons, mm-hmm. even one of the earlier seasons when he has like an actual like in person sort of test or something, you know, on that station or something, uh, that 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 did, he did seem like the uh, prototypical. Um, young cadet needs to go into Starfleet Academy. But by the end of his time on Enterprise as a regular, he didn't seem like that anymore. He seemed like he had turned and he'd grown into a person that didn't seem like the right fit for Starfleet Academy. And yet he went there. And even here, you know, he's the guy, you can say negative things, whatever, but there is a group think, there is a militaristic uh, attitude that... He seems to lack, you know. There's a reason he's the one who's like, I don't know if I can do this, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does stick out a little bit, and it does seem, you know, when you see him sitting there alone out a few blocks from my house <laughs> at Starfleet Academy, you know, he doesn't he doesn't fit in like everybody else to me. Um, so yeah, so I agree with you that there is a there has been kind of a whether they intended it or not a natural tra- trajectory uh toward his wanting to be and needing to be kind of um something else yeah yeah um, but you know you, you forget but he's he is a good actor i mean yeah. he is uh i mean he was um <laughs> but this episode will not work if he wasn't good mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. um I did so. specifically make note of the performance. I mean, and that's comparatively. I wouldn't have made a note of it if I thought it was just par for course for the Will Wheaton or something. You know, I mean, I think I think it does it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think we take that for granted so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to mention Ray Walston as Boothby, who oh, yeah. is, of course, awesome. Um, love Boothby. Uh, that. That's probably the the scene that I enjoy the most is the scene when uh, Picard and Boothby are talking and they don't I love that they don't actually tell us whatever it was that happened in Picard's youth but you know that something happened and Boothby helped him in the same way that Picard is going to help uh Wesley he even has a there's a little bit of a callback at the end there when Picard tells Wes kind of the same thing that Boothby Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I just like that scene. I I love as again as the there's the person that loves Star Trek for the universe and kind of wanting to live in this universe. Of course, there's, I I love that there are these these stories that are just hinted at that were that I don't know because these I, because stuff happens, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so I really like that. I like the reality of that. Um, what's this episode about? Um, I had, um, you know, the duty of truth versus the, the loyalty to friends and, you know, being true to oneself. A little, boy's, a little boy's first duty. 
<laughs> I knew at some point that, that would come, <laughs> that would come out. Really no way around it. Um, it has to come out at some point. I agree. <laughs> Better out than in, or whatever. They, um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the title kind of says it's 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 the complexity of that whole thing. You know, like the notion of loyalty. You know, it's not as simple as doing the right thing versus. I mean, you know, there's. They can conflict. In a way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a complex situation. I mean, it is important to be loyal to your friends and and to your your team and all this kind of thing. But not every, not all the time is that the better choice than to be loyal to to doing the right thing, which that would be the truth. But even that's that's you know ambiguous. Sometimes we can't always just tell the truth. That's not the right thing. So I, I think it just it's these complexities of where loyalties lie and what you know doing the right thing and what that means mr caesar yeah i agree that's kind of what i had written down you know um in this episode you know it becomes clear that wesley's confused i guess about who it, to me it's that he's confused about who his friends are because you know a friend wouldn't ask you to to lie to your mm. basically your family which is what um, nicholas or nick was doing and um yeah, I mean, yeah, you just sometimes people have to learn that the hard way. They have to learn who their friends are, who they're not. And, you know, it, some that's not your friend if they're asking you to do that kind of thing. And that's what Wesley had to figure that out on his own with a little bit of help from a card. A big pu- a big push, a threat. <laughs> I will expose you. I got to say the first time when I watched this episode and it's funny because I, I listened to the commentary as well after I watched it, of course, and they mentioned yeah. it in the commentary too. But when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, is that a door handle? I really did say, I said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> in Wesley's room, he goes over and he reaches and he turns the door handle and he opens the door and then he goes back and does it again. It's almost like they're like, I wanted to see a close up of his hand <laughs> on the door handle. It was so, it was so striking and weird. I'm like, what happened? What show am I watching? Oh my god! It was so crazy. It's like uh, they just want to make the like the academy like that's austere, you know? They got to run it, yeah. you know. Yeah. The that's the same door handle that's been here for <laughs> for 150 years or something. I mean, yeah, it was it was so nutty. It was so nutty. Like who? How did that even happen? How did that even happen? How was that not a conscious decision? Well, it's probably <laughs> just the cost thing. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, we, we found out when Picard graduates, I guess, what, 27? Yep, class of 27. So that would have been, what, 23, 27? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Then he wrestled? I, I think we knew that. No? We knew, I don't know if we knew that. Yeah, we knew he was a runner. Yeah, a runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we knew that part. Uh, well, yeah, I, I like this episode. I, I like it because I just I like going to Starfleet Academy. I think ultimately that's why I enjoy watching this episode. (laughs) Man, Starfleet Academy. Uh, Because you got to write that show, Brian. The Starfleet (laughs) Academy show. (sighs) Man. All right, I think we've covered this. Let's move on to Six Degrees for the little boy's first duty. Steve. Yes. Robert Duncan McNeil plays Nicholas Locarno, the smooth-talking cadet that can't quite close Wesley Crusher, so he gets expelled. He is, of course, best known to Star Trek for playing Tom Paris on Voyager. What was Tom Paris's middle name 
Hmm. Is it Eugene? You're correct. It was Eugene. That's a good uh, Star Trek finding name. <laughs> uh, Adam. Richard Fancy. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> my, my 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 nearly three year old son loves saying the word fancy, and he says it like this: fancy. <laughs> I have an aunt Nancy, and every time I say something about my aunt Nancy, he says, "Fancy Nancy." <laughs> Richard Fancy plays the Vulcan captain uh, Satelk Satelk, who doesn't quite believe young Wesley Crusher at the hearing. In Voyager's second season, he plays the Sky Spirit, an alien that seems intimately familiar with which Voyager. Characters, culture. Um, the sky spirit. Would that be Chakotay? You are correct, Chakotay. That was the episode tattoo. One to one. Moving on. Cost of Living, season five, episode twenty, production number two twenty. Original air date April twentieth, nineteen ninety two. Directed by Winrick Colby. Written by Peter Allen Fields. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Mitchell Barrett as Loxana Troy and a computer voice. Brian Bonzel as Alexander Roshenko. Tony J as Compio. Carol Stroykin as Mister Home. David Oliver as Young Man. Albie Seisnick as the Juggler. Patrick Cronin as Urko. Tracy Darcy as Young Woman. George Ede as poet and Christopher Halstead as first learner. After destroying a deadly asteroid in the Polaris field, the Enterprise heads towards the Milosian system, unaware that a cloud of strange particles have attached themselves to the ship's hull. As they travel, Troy's mother, Loxana, transports aboard with an unusual announcement. She is planning to get married on the Enterprise to a man she has never met. Troy finds the news disturbing, but Loxana laughs at her motherly concern. Hold! What is the lesson for today? Oh, well, damned if we know. We're just here for some fun in a mud bath. Every moment requires a purpose. No, it doesn't. Every purpose requires a plan. Cost of living. Holy crap. <laughs> Am I the only, only person that thinks this episode is nuts? I think this episode is nuts. Uh-huh. I really that's do. What e, that's what E.R. Harmony was based on. Well, let's just... Let's go for the... I, I'm, I'm just going to skip the fruit and sausage for a moment. What? Let's just go straight to the holodeck. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. If Dr. Seuss wrote an episode of the original series, that's what this would be. Mm-hmm. I wrote down WTF were they smoking? That's what I wrote down. Mm-hmm. I, what? I think we might be able. I think I was just looking over my notes. And I didn't intentionally try to like do anything. You know, like create a summary of this with my notes. But there's so few of them. I, I want. I think I just want to share all I wrote Please. down for this episode. All right. <laughs> all right. I think it's my take care of it. Are you ready? Here we go. Starts right in. Stopping by just to help someone. Real parenting stuff. One of these secondary character bonding episodes. Non-conforming, silly clown crap. <laughs> Changing yourself for others. Stuffy dude. Unrelated B story. Metal parasites. Goo kind of comical. Cute ending. <laughs> All right, six degrees. <laughs> Steve, you forgot. You, you forgot fairy dust. Oh yeah, fairy yeah. Fairy dust Oops. in my in my notes. <laughs> I, I don't think you. I don't think you have the the fruit and sausage. No, I yeah. That's, no, I didn't write down the fruit. Although I did I notice that I'm kind of fascinated by the fruit and stuff. 
I found Wait. it disgusting. Even the, she drank it even afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Was like wacky. <laughs> no, that's like look, hot dog. How, how did I? Water. How did I so? Did I just block? Did, was there like some psychological thing going on in, deep in the recesses of my brain that just blocked out this episode? I do not remember. I mean, I vaguely remember the storyline in this episode. I just don't remember being so nuts. I didn't remember it very well. Did I do that on purpose? How did this happen? Did you guys remember that this episode was, you know, on crack? Um, I I remember the episode, but I didn't like have any strong feelings one way or the other. It was one of those that you just kind of like, okay, it exists. I'm not even necessarily saying it's complete crap. I mean, it probably is, but I'm not. My point is, I'm not really making a value judgment. I'm just saying it's nuts. This episode is nuts. Oh yeah, I can't figure it out. Maybe well, this that's... is the best episode of Star Trek ever made, and it's just way beyond us. <laughs> I don't know. It is funny though that you mentioned it because it's kind of it's almost like a it puts you in a trance or something because you don't. I I was and not even this time did I cognizantly go through it and and think what you know why are we you know I, I you know i didn't do that i just kind of sat there and took my notes and got through it. it's okay i'll watch the next one now i mean i didn't you know i think there's some something mesmerizing perhaps about the the nonsense or something i don't know what first line of my notes enterprise destroys disco ball <laughs> <laughs> and i like how there's no i like that that's kind of a funny thing like it starts off right like that you know and reaction there's, there's no there's no commentary about it or anything. It's like, all right, took care of that. Let's move on. There's no, let's talk to these people. And you'd think that if, if I mean, if if it was if it wasn't a situation where we should be talking to those people, well, then we shouldn't be doing this for prime directive purposes. So it's it gives the impression of just kind of going around like, hey, our sensors picked up something that's gonna hit something. Let's take care of it. And you know, and go in and take care of it and then just fly off. You know, like ooh, fun or whatever. It's, well, it's like. Hey, I like Alexander. I love Brian Bunzal mm-hmm. as Alexander. Yeah. I like Loxana. Who doesn't? Who thought of pairing these up, pairing these two up as the leads in an episode? Yeah. Somebody must have been like, I don't know, that sounds, maybe that won't work. Uh, no, no, we're going to put them in a mud bath. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, do you, who thinks this up? It's funny because, you know, my research, I couldn't find, I found people just like praising this episode. Like, hmm. Oh, it's a really good character piece. Great thing for Loxana. And I'm like, what? I, the, what? I have down here that the A and B are nowhere near each other. <laughs> They're like, two, it's almost like we're watching two different episodes mm, yeah, at the same yeah. time. I know, I know a lot of times the A and the B, they don't match, but at some point or another, they kind of intertwine. You don't even see Loxana or um, well, I think the only time that we see the the two stories interconnect when there's a little bit of a glitch in the holodeck and they take off. Oh yes, <laughs> and, uh, and the ship's like dying, and you have this crazy ambassador or whoever she's going to marry who has got you know. It seems like there would have been a, been a lot more chaos going on in it. <laughs> I mean, as crazy as you say this episode is, Brian, which it is, it seems like it should have been crazier with you know all this stuff going on. They should have made it a two-parter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have this in my notes because it was, I don't know why it was just amusing to me when um, Jordy and Data were in the Jeffries tubes, you know, doing their first investigation. So they're in different uniforms. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Why are they in different uniforms? And then you, Data gets on his back and he holds the I'm like, why? It was just a weird blocking of the scene. And they had, it was, I don't know why it was just strange to me. And then the goo falls on the lid while Data's holding it. It was just that was, odd to that me. That was before the glitter, right? Mm. 
And that was when the glitter was infesting the ship and eating the metal and turning it into, you know, Ghostbuster slime. You know, that had to be comical on the set, dealing with that. St- I mean, you know, how they, this whole thing, really, I mean, so much of it would be like, they're, I mean, it probably took forever to film, just people cracking up and making the comments and all this. I mean, it's just so much nonsense on the goo, too. I mean, gosh. <laughs> Actually, much funnier to me is the idea that, like, like Patrick Stewart, for example, I don't think he understood a freaking syllable of what he was saying 90% of the time on this show. <laughs> I also think he didn't give a crap. He yeah, didn't yeah, care. Yeah. I mean, he didn't care. They could have put him in a room with all this goop or whatever, and he would have just been like, line, and they would have said action, and then he would have, he would have been amazing, and then they would have stopped, and then he would have been think, thinking about the crossword puzzle he was working on. You know, <laughs> He's an amazing actor, but that's almost funnier to me, is the idea that didn't the phase him. This- didn't give a crap. <laughs> whatever. Hmm. hmm. Man, what a weird, weird episode. Is this, a, is this, it is terrible, or no? Is this, is this a terrible episode? We've, we've established that it's nuts, but is it bad? I wouldn't say it's terrible. I mean, there are, are good scenes between Waxana and Alexander. You know, think of, like the first couple seasons of, of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. A lot of those stories, those, 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 you know, we all agree, a lot of bad episodes in the first season, first couple seasons. A lot of those uh, same exact scripts, even if you shot that script in the season five or season six, it would have been much, much, much better. Mm-hmm. It still would have been bad, but it would have been much better just because the, every, the, all the actors were firing on all the cylinders. They had the, all the production stuff going down. You know, every episode was just overall much better. But those same scripts and stories done in a later season just would have sucked less. Mm-hmm. Still would have sucked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the only thing that keep, keeps it from being as bad as the worst episodes of the series is the is yeah, it's that they're in the heart of this season, that maybe the best season, and everyone is so tight and the acting's good and all that. It's yeah, but it just at face value, when you go bit by bit by bit, it's just it's just nonsense. It doesn't connect. Uh, we haven't talked about what it's about. I think it's about nothing, and it it just. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the worst episode of the season. That's absolutely for sure. I was so surprised in my research that that was not um, an agreed-upon statement. Like, nobody was saying that. Or, you know, usually usually everybody agrees. You know, uh, Justice or whatever. You know, everybody agrees. These aren't uh, Spock's brain, whatever. I just didn't see any mention of that. Maybe I just somehow missed it. Hey, listeners, does it, are we off our rockers, or is this episode smoking something illegal? <laughs> <laughs> it would be, I mean, it kind of is along the, a little bit along the lines of a um, Spock's brain type thing, in the sense that it's so squirrely that it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, <clears throat> you get, you get to watch it and it's like, man, this is crazy. What is this? And all you can think about, this is crazy. And it, because of that, it like becomes some kind of cult following thing, right? Because it's just so off the wall, goofy. You know what I mean? Like Spock's yeah, Brain, I think, is awesome to watch, right? I mean, it's one of the worst episodes of the real series, but it's awesome to watch it. It's just hilarious. You know, you're just, just rolling and stuff. I mean, this has the potential. This isn't a Spock's Brain, but I mean, it has the potential to be that bad in a good way. I mean, yeah, there's some memorable moments in here. I mean, you know, obviously, Worf popping the balloon, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that was funny. I, th- I think that was a real laugh coming from. Um, 
Maria Spears, Troy. I think she was just actually laughing about the scene. It, was, <laughs> it looked like a real laugh. And then we get to see Worf be a tired parent where he's just like, I don't care about honor, just eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worry about honor later, just eat. And so that was kind of an unusual scene for Worf, I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I would agree with you, Brian. It's a collection of a lot of weird, unusual scenes. Who, who wrote this one, Steve? Uh, Peter Allen Fields. Well, a name we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must be desperate to squeeze stuff in towards the end of the season or something, you know. When you get older, you compromise. <laughs> right? Is that what the episode's trying to say in a literal way? I uh, didn't really feel like it, did it? When you get older, you compromise. You drink sausage juice. <laughs> That's what that means. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you watch the deleted scene on the Blu-ray, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. There was a deleted scene where between... Um, actually, maybe there's more than one, but the one I think of. Between uh, Troy and... Uh, Worf. Between Deanna, Troy, and uh, Worf. Talking, she's talking about um, how her mother <laughs> messed up her childhood, and Worf's talking about how difficult it is with his son. Um, she had a line at the end of that deleted scene that was kind of interesting to me, uh, and I really tried to latch onto it, tried to think maybe that's what the episode was about, but I couldn't hold it. <laughs> some some line about grandparents and grandkids uh, have a com- get together, get along really well because they have a common enemy. <laughs> But I still, I really couldn't, I couldn't find it. You know, I think this episode is just, um, <sighs> this is your, this is your brain on drugs. Mm. There's some eggs frying up here. Yeah. This is, this is, this is like a first or second season episode, story-wise. Just done, done really, really, really well. But still that, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I I agree with you. Watching Spock's brain is fun and funny, even though we all agree it's it's objectively, you know, it's, it's bad. It's bad, but it's fun to watch. I didn't think this was fun to watch. Yeah, honestly, I hate to say that, but it, I didn't like. I didn't laugh seeing Worf in the mud bath. I didn't. I just wanted it to be over. <laughs> well, I think it's because you spend. I mean, they're trying to. It seems like they're trying to invoke. Sim- for you to have sympathy for Waxana. Yeah. Um, and they don't do it really the right way. They kind of want you to feel, you don't, cause I don't want to feel sorry for her. And that's kind of where they, they go with it. And it's, they don't really, I mean, you know, she wants to latch onto a husband and it, but this just seems like it was a stretch. Yeah, um, even yeah. if we try to evaluate the narrative, it doesn't quite work. She's like, you get all the compromise, but I don't want to be alone. And then somehow Alexander makes her realize that she shouldn't compromise. And, and it's okay to be alone. I I don't. Yeah. I I don't understand. There's too much going on. There's too much to try to pull off. Plus, they stuck in the totally unrelated B story while they're at it, so there's not enough time to pull it off. You know. I mean. You know, and they did a much better job with this kind of a, this this in Deep Space Nine with Loxana. I mean, you know, with her and Odo, the relationship yeah. her and Odo mm-hmm. had. That was a you know I can kind of see some tiny pieces of what, what Loxana is in DS9 in this episode. Um, but they do a far better job in Deep, Deep Space Nine, I guess, yeah. showing this part of Loxana than they did here. So even if it's, 
you know, not on cocaine. It still doesn't hold up because it doesn't. It's too confused about what it's trying to be about. And mm-hmm. you know, the standards of our show say if it's not about something, or if it doesn't have a clear answer to the question, what is it about? It's not going to hold up. It's not going to be so good. Despite all the other comments we've made, it, it's it's confused in what it's about. So that stops it right there. Yeah. 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 So you guys don't really have anything for what it's about. No. Not not other than what we've talked about. I mean, you, I could throw out there, you know, um, you know, truth to oneself. You know, it's about being who you are. I mean, you know, we kind of talked about that already. So that's what I kind of had written down. <sighs> All right. Anything else anybody wants to add? The higher, the fewer. There you go. Great. Six degrees for... <laughs> cost of living. I don't even understand the dang no. title, folks. <laughs> I don't even get the title. Oh, man. Six degrees for cost of living. The score is one to one. Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Albie Selznick plays the juggler with the funny ears on the holodeck. In Voyager's third season in the episode Macrocosm, he played the Tac-Tac Council. After Voyager is infested with macroviruses, how does the Tac-Tac Council plan to purify the ship? By getting rid of the crew? No, I'm not going to... I can't take that, sorry. Steve? Oh, gosh. Um... That's going to kill everybody. I, I don't think I can give that one to you since I didn't give that same sort yeah. of thing to Adam. The, just by destroying the entire ship. But by destroying oh. the ship, everybody's on it, sure, but he needs to destroy the ship. So gotcha, gotcha. we'll just move on. Uh, Steve, in Voyager's sixth season, Selznick played Tosh in the episode The Voyager Conspiracy. Voyager uses Tosh's graviton catapult to shave how many years off their journey home? Was it three, six, nine, or twelve? Nine? No. Adam? Twelve? No. It was just three. (laughs) (laughs) I guess maybe that wasn't a very good question. All right. uh, One and one, moving on. The Perfect Mate, Season 5, Episode 21, Production Number 221, Original Air Date, April 27, 1992. Directed by Cliff Boll, story by Rene Echeverria and Ruben Leder, color play by Ruben Leder and Michael Piller, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Pomke Johnson as Kamala, Tim O'Connor as Briam, Max Gredenchik as Parlanor, Mickey Cottrell as Alric, Michael Snyder as Cole, David Paul Needles as Minor One, Roger Rignac as Minor Two, Charles Gunning as Minor 3, April Grace as Transporter Officer, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. The battle between the Kiros and Vault Minor systems is set to end aboard the neutral ground of the Enterprise in a ceremony of reconciliation. The Crozoisian ambassador, Briam, arrives first with a gift for the Baltesian leader, Alcarin. A fragile and irreplaceable item he asked to have declared off-limits. While on course to meet the Alcarian, the Enterprise is summoned to aid, for, to aid a Ferengi shuttle and beams aboard two passengers. Picard and the crew then learn that their arrival was no coincidence when the Ferengi is caught trying to steal the gift. After being bumped by the Ferengi, the cocoon-like structure that houses the gift dissolves, revealing the exotic, beautiful woman named Camilla. 
I barely know who she is and and who she is changes the moment the next man comes into the room. And I find myself hoping that the next man won't come in. There's been someone at my side teaching me about history, art, and sex since I was four. <laughs> I, I remember the precise moment, and it was earlier than that, when I realized I didn't much care for this episode. But I gotta say, this episode is worth it. I love that we have this episode. The couple million dollars they spent making it was worth every penny just to hear Famka tell Patrick Stewart that she's a mutant. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> So, begins, yeah. Yeah. So, so you didn't like it at the time, but ten or so years later, you did. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, so you didn't you like this episode? episode? No, I, 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 I didn't care for it. I mean, it's not, it's not like the last one that we just talked about, but um, it's got too many <laughs> moments that I don't know. I, I, I even the, the times when I'm conscious of, I don't like this. Like, uh, I, I think the moment when I was like, mm, I don't like this episode. It was when Famke growls at Worf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was just... But I do recognize that, believe it or, you know, like it or not, I should say, at the heart of Star Trek, I mean, the original series was very sexual, especially, you know, for broadcast 1960s, not really for the culture of the 1960s, but for broadcast television it sure as heck was. And, uh, you know, that was really at the heart of a lot of Gene Roddenberry stuff. You know, look at Kirk, good God. Um, So, it's not like this is completely out of left field. There is something Star Trek-like in this episode, but I just, I don't know, it didn't connect with me. Well, it's, it felt kind of forced, maybe even sexist at times. I don't. Maybe, I I could totally see how maybe I'm the only one that felt that way. Um, well, I think they were. That's what they were kind of trying to go. I mean, they were trying to ask that question of like, um, I guess indentured servitude. Um, you know, uh, you know, they 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 go into that early on in the episode, and it kind of to me, I guess the only kind of disappointing thing about it is it kind of just um, they just kind of accept her explanation. And, you know, they don't go too much into it after that. They're just like, okay, well, if she wants to do this, then fine. I mean, there's a little bit of jeering back and forth. And I would say that would probably be where I would be disappointed with this episode is that they probably could have gone into that a little bit more and maybe just had more of a storyline going in that direction, asking that question. But that's where I might have had a little bit of problem with that, but I don't think I felt as felt near as strongly as you about not liking it. I I uh, I don't think this is a, a great episode by any means, but there are, there are a lot of things I like, and I I think one thing is there is the entertainment value. I think there certainly are silly things about it, like the growling, like you mentioned. That's probably the, the stupidest thing in the thing, but but overall, it's one of those that I smile watching it most of the way through. And I'm not sure. I, I think I think it's it's this it's this uh, the the relationship aspect, the complexities of it. You know, you have. You have this kind of um, face-off between two characters, uh, Kamala and Picard. Who, it's it's in a way, it's almost like a, on one side of it, it's almost like a um, immovable object 
you know, irresistible force kind of situation. Um, but at the same time, just because of the the way they work, you know, this this kind of bonding thing occurs, and I think there's just something so something interesting about the the tragedy of it all, really. By the end of it, you know, the notion that you know she is she is been you know you, we could say brainwashed, you know, educated, whatever, uh, to play this role. So how do you really how can you really say I by my free will am you know, a slave or something. It, it, that, that's that's a very complex situation. But by the end, she does make a choice, and that is to bond with Picard, knowing very well that the end result, it, it's it's you know she's going to go be with this guy, and it doesn't matter. And it's tragic for both characters. Yet she was the one who made that who made that choice herself. You know. Yeah, you know, I I like the relationship. Picard and her have. I think we, you know, we talked about, you talked about Wesley Crusher early on about them humanizing him. I thought they did, I thought this episode did a pretty good job of humanizing Picard. I mean, we get to kind of see him, mm-hmm. you know, in a microcosm, of, you know, he's, we see him vulnerable. I mean, it's, there's, it's subtle. I mean, you know, you're not going to see, you know, Picard go in a full-on drama queen, but there, mm-hmm. there, it's very subtle humanizing of Picard in this episode. You, you see him vulnerable because mm-hmm. he does like this woman. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, for for Picard, it's huge. It's yeah. What, yeah. what goes on for him? Yeah. Um. So, um, I think those are the strong points of this episode. Um. Steve yeah. When it's said, just the when it's just the two of them. You know, yeah. those are the those are the moments in the episode where it, it's interesting, and for the most part, it's not cheesy, uh, and we get stuff about Picard. We we get to see Picard in a way that we haven't either ever or very little. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, I I enjoyed the Riker scene early on. He had to was, was, uh, kind of got a, a kick out of that. You know, Riker, yeah. the, the the guy who will, you know he's the the Captain Kirk of this. The series, so and he had to walk away, and then he had to walk away again later on in the episode. It's kind of I like very much that um, that Picard never really gives in. Yeah, um, I would. I think. I think it would have worked better for me making it. There were too many times when it felt like it really was just sex or not, you know, and and mm-hmm. and and boiling it all down to just sex takes the. It kind of takes it, takes the power out of it for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it too overt and simple. Um, and I made a joke at the top of our discussion here about someone at my side teaching me about <laughs> and sex, and then she does actually say, "Since I was four, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, you know, it, that is kind of funny." But, but you know, she if if it hadn't been that, if it hadn't been, if instead of the threat of it, it, Picard giving in means they have sex. That's what it felt like, and that cheapens it to me, mm. and, it, and it makes it cheesy and boring, and that seems like that's all she is. These pheromones are just, it's all about sexual, sexual, sex, 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 you know, and mm. she growls at Worf, and the miners are hitting on her, and it's, you know, it just cheapens the whole thing. It makes her seem just like an object, and I think these are the kind of reasons why fundamentally it's just constantly missing, even when it seems like it should be hitting. Even when there's a good scene between the two of them, that's what it feels like is the undercurrent of it, and that takes all the power out of it. And I say this to mean, as opposed to the captain feeling love. Mm. Now, that's an interesting thing. This captain in particular, 
giving in to romantic feelings of love. And I think that that's that they're they're trying to write it and play it as if that really is half of it. But what I the way it comes off to me is that it's just you know her growling. It's just it's sex sex sex, and that isn't nearly as interesting. It's like um, I know Picard never gave in because they didn't have sex. Okay, you know. But wouldn't it have been more interesting if it if it really was a question of love and Picard? Oh, my God, is, does he have feelings for this woman and he's really holding back? Because I think that's what they wanted to do. It just didn't feel like that. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that, that feels like that's all, all everything I'm saying. I, I don't know. Um, I, can, I can kind of see what you're saying. I think that's what it was in the beginning with her and Ricard. It was very, you know, she w- it was very similar to the way, you know, she responded to Riker or Worf or anybody on the ship. She responded the same way to Ricard that way in at least the first couple of scenes. But I would disagree with you. I think there was, I think it went deeper. I, at least for me, they convinced me of, of deeper emotional feelings between the two of them. Definitely by the end of the episode, there was a mutual respect. It wasn't just sex or, you know, you know physical relationship. They actually, there was a, a mu- there was a bond, you know, they bonded in a way. And I don't think the bond was just for her. It was for Picard as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree they may not have you know, perfectly portrayed that. But the vibe I got was that, you know, she, I think it's, it's almost like her character is like, initially it's, it is, it is about sex because that's her training. That's the, that's what she is designed for has been trained to portray that way. And it's almost, uh, you know, this is maybe just my interpretation, but it's almost like she discovered what love is through this whole thing with the card. I never, I never had any notion ever that of course, Picard would give in and have sex with her, but I, and I and I can't really say that he fell in love with her either. But I think she fell in love with him, uh, choosing to you know create that bond thing, knowing very well that nothing can nothing will come of it. You know, in terms of a long term relationship or life. Well, it's interesting from the point of view that she chooses to bond with him, be, and that means that now the rest of her life is a choice in a way mm. because if she had bonded with yeah. all rick then you know i think there's some kind of like beneath the surface connection that's made all not exactly against her will but she becomes this other way yeah and now yeah. she's reacting to, uh, as opposed to because she's bonded to picard anything that happens with all rick is a a free will choice yeah, yeah. you know that makes and, sense. I, and i think picard does that for her when you know he asks her what she wants what she you know what is who is she when she's alone that kind of thing and you know she alludes to that that those she's never been alone she's never been asked that question or even considered those things and i think that's what intrigued her to him more than just you know i guess her natural programming well i think in, i think in the grand scheme of things um what kind of fascinates me the most is not specifically uh, what this is talking about in terms of relationships, but in terms of the notion of who who are you as a person and that idea of it that's always slightly different depending on who you're with, you know. And I think there are certainly people out there that are so uh, dependent on 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 individuals of social interaction with people that that what they are when no one's around, like she kind of alluded to early in the thing. Is, is is hard for them to even conceive of. You know, what does their identity mean when they're not around other people? And is that even relevant? This, you know, because if the whole point 
of hum- being human is the inter- is the relationships interactions we have you know it, how relevant is the notion of what am i without people if i'm the only one left or something like that i don't know that, that that's kind of what the stuff i thought of after this uh, sounds like you're getting into what it's about mm-hmm. you have any uh follow up for that uh mr caesar um just there there was one other scene that i really i liked in the episode it was the last scene between um Picard and Crusher uh, mm-hmm. um, when he came in there and he just he you don't ever you rarely see Picard open up even in you know when one on ones and he opened up to their you know he said he just needed a friend basically and um, I liked that scene and she didn't try to push him one way or the other it was just her listening to him and I thought that was a strong scene for both of them as well mm-hmm. mm. well Famka is of course really really good I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she's, she's, you can tell she's uh, above TV in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's very good, even though she's young and kind of relatively inexperienced here. She, she's on her way to being on the top. <laughs> uh, one of my least favorite bonds, but uh, that's still a compliment. Because I love watching all of them. Um, I think we've, I guess we've addressed what it's about. Um, so, I don't know, you know, I'm not, it's not like the previous episode for sure. Uh, but, I don't know, maybe it's, if it inspires this level of conversation between us, maybe it's better than I'm giving it credit for. Yeah. Like I said, like the, the strongest parts of it, I mean, I, I think it's, we talked about it, there's goofiness in this episode and then there's humanizing scenes in this episode and I think I think we covered it. Maybe it just needed a another pass to take out the silly. <laughs> mm. Or mud baths. Maybe that would have been I don't know. <laughs> there might have been a bed, but mud baths would have been more appropriate in this episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, Alright. I believe our score is one to one. Let's move on to six degrees for the perfect mates. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Famke Jensen plays the beautiful Kamala. She was seriously considered for a reading, leading role on DS9, but she did not want to do uh, TV in a regular way. Which role was she up for? What was it, Dax? You're correct. Uh, Adam, this is your chance to tie it up for the day. Mickey Cottrell plays Chancellor, Chancellor Ulrich, the incredibly insane person that values treaties over Famke. <laughs> in Voyager's fourth season in the episode The Raven... Uh, he played a character that I forgot to write down. <laughs> wow, I've never done that before. He was in that episode, I promise. Um, playing somebody else who I can't remember. Oh, yeah, you know, he was, um, I remember, he was, uh, well, no, that would kind of give away the answer to my question. Uh, what is the significance of the USS Raven? The name uh, of the episode was Raven, but it's referencing a ship, the USS Raven. What is the significance of that ship? Um, was it that? was kind of an AWOL ship that was killing... No. Was it, weren't they... Weren't, was, okay, then I'm off. I'm thinking <laughs> of another episode. I'm thinking of that episode where they were, they were killing other creatures to get energy yeah, yeah. for their ship to go home. Oh, yeah, that was a cool one, but no, that's not it. Steve, do you remember what the Raven was? Um, oh, I mean, maybe this is coming back to me a little bit. It, it, it related to um, Seven of Nine, right? It, like her... Family was on it or something. Yes, her parents. That's the yeah. ship that, that where she was assimilated. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 
That's right. That was her parents' ship, and she was on it when it was captured by the Borg. Steve takes it for the day. Yay, Steve! <laughs> uh, follow up from last time. Uh, Dominic wrote in and said, "Remember last time we talked about um, the outcast? I was a little worried that I was getting a little too political. I appreciate that Dominic stated that I, in fact, was not. So." Since nobody else read in to say I was, I'm going to take it to mean that I was not. <laughs> but also, <laughs> this one, Dominic pointed out uh, an episode of uh, Dominic pointed out an episode of Enterprise called Cogenitor that that kind of touches on um, homosexuality, and I'd forgotten about that episode. Oh, that was yes. that episode. Remember, there were like three genders, and they had one that was like a slave race almost, but they needed that that non-gendered, um, that neither male nor female character. Yeah person so that the males and females could procreate, I think. I forgot all about that second season episode. Uh, you know, I, I picked up all the Blu-rays as they came out, but I haven't watched any of them, yeah. just, you know, just in case we go in that direction. But uh, Anyway, um, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That's, that was a good one to remind us of. So thanks for writing in, Dominic. Um, yeah, you know, I spent all day at uh, E3 today, the, the big video game thing, and there wasn't anything Star Trek there like there has been in years past, except there was like a museum section. I sent out a tweet with this picture. There was a museum section, which, by the way, that's when you feel you realize how old you are whenever you remember buying all the consoles that they have behind glass in the museum yeah. section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one of the things they had behind glass was a wristwatch from 1982 with a Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan LCD game built onto the watch. Huh. <laughs> I've never seen all the Star Trek memorabilia I've seen over the years in pictures and in person. Whatever, I'd never seen that. It was crazy. Yeah. So, so if you if that sounds amazing to you, look at the picture that I sent out a tweet. Uh, speaking of which, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Um, our Facebook listener page is facebook.com/slash/trekcompanion. You can send us an email. That's trekcompanion at gmail.com. So let's see. We've got um, well, we've got two more episodes, and then we're going to finish out the yeah. fifth season. Yeah, we're yeah. getting up there. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next three episodes of season five. I believe Iborg is one of those. I'm excited to do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so until then, thank you so much for listening, and uh, take it easy. Bye. See ya. I passed it.